What's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of water? A tall glass of crystal clear coolness on a hot summer's day? A lovely warm shower on a cold winter's day? A soft, gentle rain after a season of drought? Perhaps a still, tranquil lake? Or a babbling brook? Or maybe something more dramatic, like a storm or waves crashing up on a beach. Or, these days especially, turning on a tap dozens of times a day to wash our hands as a precaution against coronavirus. How many times a day do we interact with this substance? How does it factor into our work or our play? How often do you stop and think about where it's coming from or give thanks for having easy access to it? Or think about those who don't, such as in the fly-in First Nations community of Shimatawa in northern Manitoba, where water treatment systems keep breaking down. How often do we think about how adaptable water is, how it can change shape, how it can evaporate or freeze solid or transform itself into something magical like snowflakes? We'll be looking at water as the theme of this Muluk Trisina after I welcome you to episode 20 of Navigating the Energies of Life, a podcast that looks at how the energies of the Maya calendar are at work in the world and how they apply to daily lives. This is Marguerite Paquin, continuing with this podcast to accompany my horoscope blog that tracks the days of this calendar. As always, we're working here with a calendrical system that has at its core 20 solar-based energies that work in conjunction with 13 unique numerical powers to create a cycle of 260 days that involves the interconnecting and cycling of those 20 solar forces with the 13 numbers to create a count of days referred to in Yucatec Maya as a Zulkan. Each of the 260 days in the cycle is unique. Each one ties in with events not only going on in the world, but also in people's individual lives, as every person carries the energetic imprint and characteristics of the forces that were in play at the time of their birth. The influence of those energies on world events and people's lives is the focus for both the blog and this podcast. This is done by tracking the Trisinas, the 13-day periods that cycle within this system, with each one having a different emphasis or theme. We're now working with the energies of the Muluk, or water, Trisina, which began on Tuesday. The last time this energy was in place was last spring, at the end of March, when several of the days of this Trisina coincided with the transitional days at the end of the Maya year and then bridged into the beginning of the Maya year on the ninth day, which was March 31st. The Maya would have traditionally seen those as cautionary days, a time frame when things may have been in disarray, which they were at that time. Several countries were already in total lockdown, and many more were trying to sort out how to deal with the coronavirus. In keeping with the nature of water, there was a great deal of shape-shifting taking place throughout this Trisina at that time, as case numbers rapidly began to escalate, 
reaching the 1 million mark globally towards the end of this time frame. In the U.S., the dumpster's failure in leadership in that regard was jaw-dropping, and by the middle of this time period, in early April, the U.K.-based Guardian was reporting on the complete absence of the U.S. from global debates regarding the pandemic. Natalie Tochi, a former EU policy advisor, summed it up by saying that the U.S. was basically off the map in terms of their response to this global emergency. And there was considerable discussion among other leaders about how disastrous the U.S. response had been. From the debacle over testing to the dumpster's months-long denial about the scale of the threat, coupled with his ever-constant political point scoring, the U.S. was showing that it was anything but a model for the rest of the world. And that wasn't just the perspective from outside the U.S. In a commentary titled The Death of American Competence, Stephen Walt, a Harvard University professor of international relations, argued that worldwide faith in U.S. competence had been one of the pillars of its global standing, but that was rapidly crumbling. But even though leadership in the White House continued to be the mess that had come to be standard practice over the previous three years, and was, even in the context of the pandemic, pushing to reopen businesses, others were stepping up and attempting to provide guidelines. In the U.S., the CDC issued a warning against all non-essential travel. The U.S. Surgeon General ordered everyone to stay home, and many state doctors and health agencies and some state governors urged the same, although many still did nothing. And countries around the world were rapidly closing borders and ordering people off the streets. On the very first day of this Trasina at that time, on one muluk, one water, Antonio Gutierrez, the United Nations Secretary General, appealed for a global ceasefire calling on an end to all armed conflicts in all corners of the world so that the world could instead focus on fighting the coronavirus. The fury of the virus illustrates the folly of war, he said, as he emphasized that it was time to put armed conflict on lockdown and focus together on the true fight of our lives. He provided the reminder that COVID-19 is the planet's common enemy. The virus doesn't care about nationality or ethnicity, faction or faith, he said. It attacks all relentlessly. Pope Francis also called for a ceasing of all forms of hostilities as he encouraged the creation of corridors for humanitarian aid, openness to diplomacy, and attention to those who find themselves in situations of vulnerability. On that first day, on one muluk, 160 intelligence, and national security professionals signed a joint letter warning that the dumpster had created an existential danger to the United States, as this bipartisan group endorsed Joe Biden for president. The letter, titled The Steady State, 
stated that their nation's foreign affairs were in disarray, their alliances frayed, and their national prestige was declining, stating that their approach to both friends and enemies abroad had been chaotic and unprincipled. Their credibility as a nation had been lessened. Perhaps most importantly, they said, their place in the world as a source of moral leadership had nearly been lost. As a country, they were feeling increasingly less secure and less safe. They flatly stated that democracy itself was at stake and that they were endorsing Joe Biden because they believed the country was in grave danger and that Joe Biden represents the best chance of surviving that danger, reversing course and rebuilding a strong, safe and democratic America that is a global leader. So that was one cycle ago. Everything was swirling and in flux. People were retreating from the streets. But some interesting things were beginning to happen. Some notable cleansing began to take place. The canals in Venice began to appear cleaner and fish and wildlife began to return. In China and in many other places, the air began to clear as factories were shut down and streets and highways were cleared. Cities began to look like ghost towns and wildlife began to reappear. It didn't take long for Gaia, Mother Earth, to demonstrate how quickly she could start the process of cleansing and healing. As human beings were forced to switch gears, Mother Earth was beginning to refresh herself. She was starting to teach us the kinds of things we need to learn if we're going to deal with climate change issues in any responsible way. And as a footnote to that, Venice became submerged again on the first day of this current Tresina, on one Muluk, the initiation of water, since apparently they didn't anticipate that the weather would be bad enough to activate the new $8 billion dam system that was recently completed to keep back a water level rise of about 10 feet above normal. Clearly, they need to improve their forecasting system. But just to return to one cycle ago for a moment, at that time it was striking to see that we were very close to the calendar round return of the energies that were in place 52 years earlier when a deadly flu pandemic broke out in the early summer of 1968 and killed an estimated one million people globally over the following few months. So this was a calendar round return, meaning that it wasn't just the same number and day sign, but the parallels extended to the number and month as well, precisely the same as was in place in 1968. But this time, we weren't just echoing a single day, but a whole zone, since a pandemic covers a much longer period of time. So all of this could be seen as a huge recycling of those exact energies. Coincidentally, this was when the comet Neowise was first discovered on the fifth day of this Tresina which ties right in with the ancient notion of comets being portents of 
war or pestilence or famines, and even the death or misfortune of prominent figures such as kings. And with people seeing how badly things were going in the White House and commenting on the existential danger emanating from there, that discovery tied right in. In fact, all of 2020 could fit right in into the ancient Anglo-Saxon chronicle records of severe hardships that have followed the sightings of comets. This time, it's not the end of the Maya year, and I don't think there's another comet on the horizon, but it is the last full Trisina of 2020. The next Trisina, which will start on the solstice, will straddle over into 2021. But most importantly, regardless of its placement in the year, the first day of this Muluk Trisina always marks an important 52-day shift point within the 260-day cycle the start of the final 52 days before the current 260-day cycle is completed. And this time, this is particularly important since it's within the context of this final 52 days that the last nerve-wracking days of the dumpster's presidency will be flushed away and a long-awaited shift in power will take place in Washington. That shift will be formalized during the very last Trisina of this current 260-day cycle. It was interesting to see that when one Muluk returned this time, on Tuesday, December 8th, it was precisely to the day, one cycle, since the UK began their nationwide lockdown last spring. The timing was exquisite because this was the day when England, Scotland and Wales began administering their first doses of the vaccine. And vaccines are carried by water. They're calling this V-Day, the start of the fight back against the coronavirus. And it so happens that the lady who received the very first vaccination will be celebrating her 91st birthday next week, just after the midpoint of this time frame. Given that over 62,000 people have died from COVID in the UK during the last cycle, this program is now providing a glimmer of hope. But there are now over 69 million cases globally, and apparently there is one death every 30 seconds from this in the U.S. And as I record this, I just heard that over 3,000 people died in the U.S. on this day, their highest single day death toll, so there is still a long way to go. I should also mention that this water-oriented time frame was seen traditionally as being under the patronage of a deity known as Chalchitolin, the jade or jeweled turkey, which was a symbol of magic, abundance, and even sorcery. There's an image of this in my horoscope blog. The jade aspect of this deity symbolizes its connection with water. This is quite a complex deity that, in deep mythology, is a significant shapeshifter that has been sometimes associated with darkness disease, and even the plague, which unfortunately seems to be what he was about last time, 
But in his turkey form as an overseer of this time frame, he also has the power to cleanse and to eradicate pestilence. And we did see some of that the last time in terms of the cleansing of Mother Earth. This time, the beginning of this Dracaena coincided with that safe harbor deadline in the U.S. with regard to settling contests over electors and electoral votes, after which conclusions regarding election results become official and cannot be tampered with. Despite how much the dumpster and his cronies have been trying Six days after this, which will be the Eagle Day, at the midpoint of this Chasina, the Electoral College in the U.S. will vote to formalize Joe Biden's win as president-elect. At that time, ballots will be cast for both the president and the vice president. And that will also be the day when early voting begins in Georgia, relating to the critical Georgia Senate runoff. That day will be the peak of the Geminids meteor shower at the time of a new moon and a total solar eclipse. So that will be one to watch for. But before we get there, we have some other points of note, such as the three Schwen on December 10th, which is now. This is one of those monkey days, the activation of creativity, an important time-weaving type of energy that can often bring forth powerful shifts, as it did in 1929 on Black Tuesday, when investors traded some 16 million shares on the New York Stock Exchange in a single day and Wall Street crashed. And weirdly, exactly 13 Zulkan cycles ago, as of this day, the action thriller called Contagion premiered. That was a movie that depicted the rapid spread of a virus to cities around the world. Yikes. This is the Maya birth energy of the great fairy tale writer Hans Christian Andersen. And I'm going to come back to him in a few minutes. I have a treat for you in that regard. Also, as noted in the blog, this evening brings the start of Hanukkah, the Jewish festival of lights that features the lighting of menorahs over eight consecutive nights. So this festival will be taking place completely within the context of this Dracaena at this time. The first full day of Hanukkah will be on December 11th, Maya Day for Eb, which is representative of the sun working with the life-enhancing energy of Eb, which can be an uplifting, refreshing type of energy that often brings a sense of new possibilities, is often highly eventful, as happened in 2008 when Barack Obama won the presidential election. Oh yes, we remember it well. Two years later, this same energy was in place when President Obama and Russia's President Medvedev signed a 10-year nuclear weapons reduction treaty called New START, signaling the opening of a new age of cooperation between the U.S. and Russia. This is due to be renewed on February 5, 2021, after Joe Biden takes over the presidency. That might fall under the heading of dodging a bullet, as, thank God, the creature from the Black Lagoon will be gone. Also noteworthy is the fact that exactly 
Seven cycles after that New START treaty was signed between the U.S. and Russia, President Obama announced that agreement had been reached on the framework for an historic nuclear reduction agreement with Iran, which was seen as a significant political breakthrough, the most important foreign relations negotiation of the Obama presidency at that point. When For Ebb returned later that year, which was December of 2015, the 15-nation UN Security Council unanimously approved a resolution to adopt a plan that calls for a ceasefire in Syria and even provided a roadmap for bringing peace and greater stability to that region. I don't have the details for everything that happened after that because, unfortunately, that didn't stick. And then the dreaded 2016 election happened. But at the end of 2015, the energy of 4EB did open up the vision for new and promising possibilities in that regard. One more thing about for ebb, that was also the energy in place when the Earthrise photo was taken from Apollo 8 as it orbited the moon in 1968. It was the first photo of the Earth from the moon, one of the most famous photos ever taken. Currently, just Two days before the return of this 4EB energy, we have an announcement from NASA that 18 astronauts are embarking on a training program for new missions to the moon. So that is also in line with this watery, sometimes moon-oriented time frame. The day after that is 5-Ben, the blessing of personal authority, which coincides with the UN's International Universal Health Coverage Day, dedicated to promoting collective action to build more equitable health systems for everyone on the planet. At this time, advocates will be sharing stories about the millions of people still waiting for health care, and we'll be calling on world leaders to make commitments to help move the world closer to universal health coverage by 2030. As it happens, this is the Maya birth energy of Dr. Li Wenliang, the Chinese doctor who issued the first warning about the coronavirus in the early days of the outbreak, who later died of it. He is now honored as one of the heroes of the pandemic. Note that if you Google his name, 1985 sometimes shows as his birth year, but deeper digging seems to confirm 1986, which would make his birth energy 5-Ben. This year, this authoritative five-bin energy coincides with the feast day for Tonatzin, Our Lady of Guadalupe, patronage of the Americas, which is celebrated in Mexico and in many other Latin American communities. Our Lady of Guadalupe, also known as the Virgin Mary, is believed to have appeared to a peasant named Juan Diego, who was an Aztec convert to Christianity on December the 9th and again on December 12th in 1531. The story goes that during her apparition, she requested that a shrine to her be built on the spot where she appeared, which was Tepeyac hill, now in a suburb of Mexico City. The bishop at that time demanded a sign before he would approve the construction of a church. So she appeared a second time 
to Juan Diego and ordered him to collect roses. When he went to see the bishop, Juan Diego opened his cloak and dozens of roses fell to the floor, revealing the image of Mary imprinted on the inside of the cloak. Apparently, this is still preserved in the Basilica of Our Lady of Guadalupe, which was renovated in the 1970s and is now the most visited Catholic pilgrimage site in the world. In conjunction with this feast day, many churches in Canada honor this with a national day of prayer in solidarity with Indigenous peoples. Jumping forward a bit to 8 Kib, December 15th, this is a kind of resurrection force in conjunction with Kib's transmutation-oriented energy that's often oriented around practicality and the restoration of order, or even putting something into place that has very practical significance. This is the Maya birth energy of the Nobel Prize-winning Guglielmo Marconi, the 19th-century Italian inventor and electrical engineer, known for his pioneering work on long-distance radio transmission and the development of a radio telegraph system. In December of 1901, he used his system for transmitting the first wireless signals across the Atlantic between Cornwall and St. John's, Newfoundland, a distance of 2,100 miles. The following year, he patented his magnetic detector, which then became the standard wireless receiver for many years. Those tests led to the opening of the first transatlantic commercial service in 1907. Also born within this Tresina, just as the sparkling, knife-edged flashpoint of the energy of 10 Etznab was coming in, was Nikola Tesla. Volumes could be written about him, but the short description was that he became very well known as an eccentric inventor, electrical engineer, mechanical engineer, and futurist, possibly best known for the wide range of experiments he conducted with generators, electrical discharge tubes, and early X-ray imaging. He often gave public lectures and was noted for his showmanship. Throughout the 1890s, Tesla conducted high-voltage, high-frequency power experiments, working on ideas for wireless lighting and worldwide wireless electric power distribution. He also foretold the idea of wireless communication through his devices. These are just two examples of people born during this period who tapped into the electromagnetic properties associated with this watery tracino. Looking at mythology again, this ties in with the great watery feathered serpent that was also seen as providing support during this period. So, working in tandem with the jade turkey, this symbolically creates a generative firewater kind of force representative of the original creation forces that sparked life. These forces have been known to open the door to many new and exciting possibilities which it certainly did with inventors such as Marconi and Tesla. It's also been known to trigger major shifts in direction, even to the point of significantly altering 
personal lives or changing the world like it did last spring. And now, right on schedule, we see that the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, in the U.S., is predicting a G3, that's a strong category, geomagnetic storm on December 10th, and a G2 or moderate storm on December 11th. The NOAA tells us that this kind of storm could cause a major disturbance of the Earth's magnetosphere that occurs when there is very efficient exchange of energy from the solar wind into the space environment surrounding Earth. When the charged particles hit the Earth, they could cause aurora borealis, or northern lights, as far south as Iowa, Pennsylvania, and Oregon. In British Columbia, they're preparing for a strong solar magnetic storm, which could lead to power cuts. Such magnetic storms are gusts of charged particles that come from the sun and can potentially cause serious damage to high-voltage transmission systems, leading to widespread power failures, which is what happened in Quebec in the 1980s. In March of 1989, a geomagnetic storm caused a nine-hour outage of Hydro-Quebec's electrical transmission system. Okay, before we get to the treat I promised, let me just provide the reminder that, as always, the days of this Tracina are highlighted in my My Account of Days horoscope blog at whitepoppress.ca. This horoscope blog can also be accessed through mayacalendararts.com, where you can find earlier podcasts, information on Maya Calendrics, posts on topics such as birth dates and energy cycling, and information on such things as coaching services and personalized artworks. I should mention that one person that I found to be very inspirational to my work was an archetypal psychologist who was born on seven men at the midpoint of this Dracaena. That was James Hillman, who wrote a book called The Soul's Code, In Search of Character and Calling. Even though this book has nothing whatsoever to do with the Maya calendar, I found that it was speaking directly about the same kind of principles that underlie this calendrical system, as it relates to the idea of personal calling. This is exactly how the ancients saw this calendar, with one's Maya calendar birth energy tying directly in with that calling, providing significant clues as to the directions that someone might pursue in life. So, along those lines, if anyone might like some assistance directly from me in terms of exploring how these kinds of energies may work within your own lives, please check out some of the options outlined on that Maya Calendar Arts site. As highlighted there, there are many different ways in which to work with these energies. Note, for example, some of the ways that 4EB has been beneficial for President Obama. I was just speaking of this. That was not his birth energy, but rather an energy ally. That's the kind of thing that can be teased out when I start looking at key dates and such in people's lives. It can be quite fascinating to discover what your energy allies are and how they work. You've seen through this podcast and blog that I often provide examples of how calendrical energies tie in with events and personal lives 
But all I can do in terms of the podcast or blog is provide very small glimpses, not the deeper levels that would take much more investigation involving tie-ins with personal events in people's lives and relationships and overall paths. That's where much, much more can be revealed. Feel free, if you wish, to contact me if you have any questions. Contact information is in the websites as well as information on subscribing to the Horoscope blog. Okay, now to the treat I promised. We are going to return to that famed fairy tale writer Hans Christian Andersen. Born on a three Schwen activation of creativity day in 1805. Same energy as is in place right now, this December 10th. This remarkably creative individual wrote some of the most well-known fairy tales in the world, 168 of them, including such stories as The Ugly Duckling, The Snow Queen, The Little Mermaid, and, highly pertinent these days, The Emperor's New Clothes. I'm going to read part of a story that fits in perfectly with Hans Christian Andersen's Maya birth energy on the third day of this very watery time frame. I'll include a link to the whole story in the blog post. The story is called The Great Sea Serpent, published in 1872. Here we go. There was a little fish, a salt water fish of good family. I don't recall the name. You'll have to get that from the learned people. This little fish had 1,800 brothers and sisters, all just as old as he. They did not know their father and mother and were obliged to look out for themselves at the very beginning and swim round. But that was great sport. They had water enough to drink the entire ocean. They thought nothing about their food. It came when they wanted it. Each did as it pleased. Each was to make out its own story. I, rather none of them thought at all about that. The sun shone down on the water that was light about them, so clear it was. It was a world with the strangest creatures, and some very horrid and big, with great gaping mouths that could gulp down all the 1,800 brothers and sisters, but neither did they think of that for none of them as yet had been swallowed. The small ones swam side by side, close together, as herrings and mackerel swim. But as they were swimming, their prettiest in the water and thinking of nothing, there sank with prodigious noise from above, right down through them, a long, heavy thing that looked as if it never would come to an end. It stretched out farther and farther, and every one of the little fishes that scampered off was either crushed or got a crack that it could not stand. All the little fishes and the great ones with them, from the level of the sea to the bottom, were thrown into a panic. The great horrid thing sank deeper and deeper and grew longer and longer, miles and miles long. 
the fishes and snails, everything that swims or creeps or is driven by the current, saw this fearful thing, this enormous, incomprehensible sea eel which had come down upon them in this fashion. What was the thing, anyway? Ah, we know. It was the great, interminable telegraph cable that people were laying between Europe and America. There was a confusion and commotion amongst all the rightful occupants of the sea where the cable was laid. The flying fishes shot up above the surface as high as they could fling themselves. The blowfish took a leap, an entire gunshot in length, over the water, for it can do that. The other fish made for the bottom of the sea and went down with such haste that they reached it long before the telegraph was seen or known about down there. They poured in on the cod and flounders that lived peaceably at the bottom of the sea and ate their neighbors. One or two of the sea anemones were so agitated that they threw up their stomachs, but they lived after it just the same, for they can do that. A good many lobsters and crabs got out of their excellent shells and were obliged to wait for their bones to grow back again. In all this fright and confusion, the 1800 brethren and sisters became separated and never again met, or ever knew each other after that. Only some ten of them remained still in the same place. And so, in a few hours, they got over the first fright and began to be curious about the affair. They looked about them. They looked up and they looked down. And down in the depths, they fancied they saw the fearful thing that had scared them. Yes, had scared all, great and small, lying on the bottom of the sea as far as their eyes could reach. It was quite thin, but they did not know how thick it might be able to make itself or how strong it was. It lay very quiet. But then that might be a part of the cunning, they thought. From here in the story, the sea creatures discussed various ways about how to deal with this new creature in their midst. But then, towards the end of the story, Anderson carries on. The sea cow explained to them that this terrible thing, which, to be sure, had not given out a single mutter, was only some invention from the dry land, and it delivered a little oration upon the rottenness of men. They want to get hold of us, said she. That's all they live for. They stretch nets for us and come with bait on a hook to catch us. That thing there is some kind of big string which they think we are going to bite at. They are such stupids. We are not. Only do not touch it and it will shrivel up and all turn to dust and mud. Everything that comes down from up there is full of cracks and breaks. It's good for nothing. Good for nothing, said all the creatures in the sea, and held fast to the sea cow's opinion, so as to have an opinion. The little fish had its own thoughts. That exceedingly long, thin serpent is perhaps the most wonderful fish in the ocean. I have a feeling it is. The very most wonderful, said we, the human folks, and say it with knowledge and assurance. It is the great sea serpent, 
long ago the theme of song and story. It was born and nourished and sprang forth from men's cunning and was laid upon the bottom of the sea, stretching from the eastern to the western land, bearing messages quick as light flashes to our earth. It grows in might and in length, grows year by year through all seas round the world, beneath the stormy waves and the lucid waters, where the skipper looks down as if he sailed through the transparent air and sees the swarming fish, brilliant fireworks of color. Down, far down, stretches the serpent, Midgard's snake, that bites its own tail as it encircles the earth. Fish and shell beat upon it with their heads. They understand not the thing. It is from above. Men's thoughts in all languages course through it noiselessly. The serpent of science for good and evil. Midgard's snake, the most wonderful of all the ocean's wonders. Our great sea serpent. So, a very watery story written by someone born on an activation of Creativity Day, the third day of this water-oriented Tresina, that somehow seems as pertinent today as when it was written all those decades ago. So as we continue through the rest of this Tresina, stay dry, stay safe, keep washing your hands, Keep your heads above water and go with the flow. Love to you all.